Welcome back to the Micro Advice Podcast. Today, our spotlight topic is on the critical role customer support plays in B2B, B2C, and B2E, or engineering customers. We'll talk a little bit about how we build a better operation in your startup and small business. To understand this concept, we're here with Michael Frew. Michael is the owner-operator of Tyler Crown, a corporation that manages, founds, and acquires cloud-based software products and services. Michael has over two decades of experience as a software developer and project manager. Michael, thanks for speaking with us today. Hey, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely. This is going to, I'm looking forward to this. This is going to be a good one. So, you know, Michael, customer support is not a new topic by any stretch. It's quite old, actually. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I feel like a lot of companies still haven't really nailed it. And they haven't delivered the experience they set out to with their own customers. And I know you have a lot of experience in this space. So, you know, in about your 20 or so years of services experience and overseeing several multi-million dollar portfolio of software customers, what have you seen work well and maybe not so well when discussing the support functions? Yeah. One of the things that I've noticed that seems to get me the most bang for my buck is the quickness of response from an actual human when you send in a sport ticket or a request or, hey, I'm having a problem with your service. And I feel that that is something that's been lost over the last few years is the ability to feel like when I send something in that at that time in my life is fairly urgent and to get something back from someone that at least acknowledges not just the robo email that comes back, but acknowledges like, hey, my name's Erica. I'm going to be figuring this out with you. I don't have an answer even right now, but give me a few minutes and we'll figure it out. For me, I found so much um, positivity comes from that. And despite even if you have a major issue or you have an outage or it's a real problem, the customer will give you the benefit of the doubt if you show that you're there and you're working on it. Yeah, I think that's incredible insight. I know personally speaking, I've had a couple instances, much like you described, where even if it wasn't solvable on the first call, I knew that it was being worked on, discussed, there was follow-ups, there was activity and engagement. Then there's other times where I've called and it's been, you know, wait an hour on hold, they can't solve it. And I know I dread calling back and waiting another hour on hold right? for maybe a similar response. Absolutely. And, you know, and acknowledging, like you said, acknowledging that the customer's issue is a real issue. Um, not saying that, hey, you know, no one else has ever brought this up or right. you get this from larger companies, you know, mm-hmm. I've never heard of this. And you can say, listen, there's an entire forum thread dedicated to this problem and they've all called you. So please don't yeah. act like you've never heard this before. That's right. Oh, great, great topic. Michael, can you speak maybe to the differences that we mentioned in the intro? Uh, I had mentioned B2C, B2B and B2E or b to engineering support. How do they differ? Right. Yeah. Um, So I do a lot of business engineering, but I can start off with the business to consumer. I feel in many ways, the business to consumer in many instances, and this is not always true, but many instances, you have a fairly limited relationship with the between the parties and it's more transactional. And so there's less empathy, um, certainly from the customer point of view, where if I bought something and it arrives broken, I'm already upset. Um, And that is very different from a B2B interaction where you may have a relationship with the business. There is some empathy. There's some ability in kind of the bank account of your emotion to say, you know, we're going to roll with this while we figure out what the problem is. 
And I've also dealt with a lot of what we were saying is business to engineer. And when you're speaking engineers to engineers, they also understand that technology breaks. Um, not everything works like we expect. Bugs are found. And they also have more empathy and more willingness to kind of work with the company uh, over a longer period of time. So, yeah, I kind of go in that order where B2C can sometimes be the toughest because the relationship isn't there. And you get a little bit of that um, anonymity that you see from trolls on Twitter and everything where, where people feel more justified to be mean and not empathetic. And so from those three, I personally like B2B and business to engineer, but um, we all have to live in a B2C environment now post-COVID. And so I think focusing on that and kind of taking in what we had said before, we're taking the B2C conversation to a point of empathy and where um, you're treating the customer like they're actually a real person and responding quickly can make a huge difference. Oh, yeah. Uh, that that makes definitely all the difference in the world. I, I really like to, you know, that that to me right now is the common thread of this is, you know, how how do you really kind of empathize with the customer, no matter what their problem is, and then treat them as if they're they're the only one and their their right. problems matter. Okay, Michael. So you know, given all of your experience in acquisition and you know, working with various different types of support teams. How do you build a, a good team so that they operate effectively right from the start? Ah, that's a great question. Um, one of the things that I've found is that a lot of the interviews should be done in the same medium that you're going to speak with your customer. For example, all of my business is pretty much done over email and almost no phone customer support. So everyone that I interview for my support teams, we do it via email. Most of them I have never actually spoken to. And what you're looking here for is a command of the language that you're going to be conversing with your customers, a way to present problems and solutions in a step-by-step manner. And these are the kind of things that come out much different in writing than it can in person. And so for me, I found that that's been a nice little hidden trick uh, to help build, a, uh, to help start finding the right people for your team. And then as your team grows and bringing in kind of your senior customer support person and presenting the opportunity for growth within your company. From the engineer point of view, there's not a lot of engineers that spent 10 years studying computer science that want to go into customer support. That is a big ask. So in many businesses, they say, we bring engineers in at customer support so they can see what the customers are experiencing, but you need to have that progression path out of customer service if they so choose and make sure that it doesn't feel like a, where they're stuck in that kind of a role. And so for an engineering perspective, I've noticed that that has also been a good position to say, you know, you're coming in at this level. If you would like to progress into management or a different role of engineering or QA, um, there are paths into that direction as well. That is really good advice. And something that I hadn't thought of right from the beginning is, you know, really making sure that those paths are very clearly stated up front of, Right. giving the engineers the, the career path that they want to choose and, and showing them the options. Absolutely. And so since I'm running smaller, like I feel like we're all kind of family. My teams are always going to be 10 people or smaller. My goal really is I'd like to work with you for a few years. And then one day I want you to say, hey, Michael, I'm going somewhere else. I found this amazing thing. And you know, you have helped me go from walking out of school as a QA engineer, and now I can be a mid-level or senior engineer at a different company. That for me is a success for myself as well, um, because not only just running the business, but we all want to be kind of paying it forward and, and helping everyone else out as well. 
Okay, that makes a lot of sense. So go, going back to one of the points that we, we touched on a little bit earlier, do these support teams really need to be technically equipped? Because you know we, we had talked a little bit about some engineers just don't want to go into the support realm. And then maybe it's finding the right types of engineers with the personality and desire to want to do that. So you know, if you're building a B2E or even a B2B support team, do they need to have a lot of technical expertise or what other skill set might make them deliver a high impact kind of function? Very good question. Um, I've kind of handled that in two different ways, and it may not perfectly answer your question, but I'll kind of explain how I've done it and see if that helps a little bit. Um, one possible way is to have the engineer have the opportunity where 80% of your time you're doing engineering and 20% you're helping me out with customer service. That seems to be a very good balance. And the other way is where kind of like um, you're implying is possibly you have someone that's non-technical as the front end customer service person. And what we see happen with that is that always gets passed back to the engineer and then it gets passed back to the, the middle person and then sent out to the customer where a lot of the subtlety and the nuance can be lost in between those conversations because the translator in the middle may not be technical enough to quite help with that. I've seen attempts to do that where let's say the engineering team possibly is not um, a native speaker in the language that you want to speak with your customers, and this helps kind of smooth that out. Those are two ways that it is possible to make it work uh, that I've tried and, and had success with in the past. Um, but each way is kind of there's uh, half dozen on, on one side and the other. That is perfect. Have you considered the recent focus on tech touch support? And from your perspective, what are some of the pros and cons of that? That's a really good question. So I run a couple high touch technical companies. And in that sense, when you have um, customers paying quite a bit, you have high profit margins. For me, I feel like they should be speaking with a person almost immediately. So we have, if you go to some of the websites of my businesses, you'll see the first thing it says is no chat bots, no mazes to submit a ticket. I'm not gonna make you hit yes five times that you still wanna submit this to support. We want you speaking with us right away because customer service is amazing in two different ways. And one is that your customers will tell you what's wrong with your product and what they could use as a future product. And that is such a wealth of information that I feel that the companies that are trying to force you away with the technical solution and using bots and chat agents are never getting that feedback. And for me, I can look back on different products that we've released that I would have never have gotten to if I hadn't really made sure I was out with the customer and so that there was almost no barrier between us. I feel like a lot of that is lost. Now, if we go back to our B2C conversation and you're dealing with thousands and thousands of products that you're selling, some customers and everything, it's probably too hard to do. But something like mine, where it's 15, 20, 30 a day, you can deal with that and you can take all of that feedback in and it starts to mold a little bit about how your company might move in the future. And all of that is coming from keeping the flow of customer service as smooth and friction-free as possible. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And reminds me of a story. I know there is a credit card company that I used. Historically, you would call the number and automatically get connected with a person very quickly. I've noticed since that time 
they've switched to uh, an IVR method and, you know, you have to press one for this, two for that. And then the wait time has grossly expanded uh, yeah. such that even if it's a simple thing, activating a car, whatever it may be, it, it takes a lot more time now. And that's where, you know, I definitely hear you on getting to talk to somebody right away, particularly in a high touch type organization that you're running super critical for, for driving that support. I think I know that credit card <laughs> and you're absolutely right because remember how we both feel at the end of that call, even if the solution is done and they send me the survey. Mm -hmm. Well, the survey is almost always about the agent and the agent did a great job. It's not the agent's fault that I had to wait an hour and a half, Right. but it leaves me looking at uh, why am I with this company and, and just Forcing your customers to have that conversation in their head is not the direction you want to be going. Right. Um, because as you remember from the past, you're like, wow, this used to be so fast and I loved calling them. Mm -hmm. So that's, yeah, it's, it's Absolutely. a balance. <laughs> yeah. If you leave the customer wondering or pondering questions of like, do I want to continue using this product because of X, Y, and Z experience? Again, yeah. if it's an individual experience, sometimes, you know, even yourself as a customer, you could say, well, okay, that was a, the agent wasn't that helpful, but overall the company's, you know, 99% effective across right. the board. If it's things like that, where the agent's great, but it just takes an hour to get to the agent, then that, that leaves you with a whole other kind of bundle of questions. Um, right. Michael, so you know, what, now, now that, you know, I think we've, we've talked a little bit about the different types of support. When should a company decide to adopt or build a support team? Basically, at what stage of growth from a startup, small business, midsize? What are your thoughts on that? Yes, I think anytime, anytime you're starting something up from scratch, you're doing support right away as soon as you get your first customer. Um, so we all know that is true. And then in many ways, because I'm purchasing my businesses, I'm not there at the point where we kick off the customer service team. In my sense, you know, we kind of already have it because we have customers. I did notice on Hacker News, there was an article about what a newly funded SaaS company should have as their whole entire org chart. And what I was surprised in, it's like 50 different roles and how few customer service uh, vocal people is in that whole group. And I get, you know, uh, funding a company, maybe they don't have any customers, but to me, that seemed like a miss of the focus because as we were saying, the ideas I get from our customers, the, especially the feedback when you're making a new product, I'd be stunned if they don't have to increase that customer service group. So at that kind of bigger startup, I'm not sure I'm really good with an answer with that, but I do feel like the fact that you and I are having this conversation shows how important customer service really should be. Um, and many times, like we said, it just isn't attended to correctly. So, Michael, last question for today. This has been great so far. Thank you very much. But last question for today. How can these support teams effectively grow and scale? So think of it when you're a startup, you have one or two. Then you hit small business level, maybe add four to six, midsize, eight to ten. How can you consistently and and accurately scale whenever you're adding these folks with different personalities and perspectives and professional maturity? I think the way that I've seen a lot of my colleagues that own businesses my size and are going through that phase that you're speaking of is having a really solid set of standard operating procedures for onboarding new agents 
as well as every single thing that they're going to do. And if you look at my, I use Notion, my database, every single possible thing that I can do has been documented in there. It'd be very hard for someone to say, how in the world do I do a refund on Stripe without finding a standard operating procedure? So at least there you can have, you can knock off all the technical and logistic challenges for an agent. And then kind of like we spoke, then you have the challenges of like, some people are really good at uh, communication. Some people are really good at getting things done. Those are the people challenges. But on the technical and the logistics side, you can really help yourself with just setting up those standard operating procedures. It's very annoying to do. Nobody likes to do it. I don't like to do it, especially for myself. I'm writing an SOP for myself. But if I don't follow it, and one of the great books that everybody knows about is the Checklist Manifesto that really talks about why it's important to follow these kind of checklists. And uh, that easily my best advice for growing and scaling a team is starting with a framework that everybody is looking at at the same time. Uh, Michael, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. This has been great. Great. Yeah, it's been awesome. Thank you all for listening. If you have any thoughts or questions about a customer experience podcast topic, please drop me a line on LinkedIn. As always, you can find this episode and many more on YouTube, Spotify, and iTunes. So you can listen over and over and over and over again. Have a great week. We'll see you right back here. Same place, same time next week. Bye now.